0: Years after a criminal conspiracy was discovered by the San Diego Union Tribune, former Congressman Duncan Hunter and his wife Margaret are now felons. Margaret's sentence is three years probation with eight months of home arrest for being part of a scheme that misspent a quarter million dollars of campaign finance funds on everything from Italian vacations to oral surgery. Here's what we know. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Morgan Cook, you're a member of the Watchdog team, and you've been covering this story from the beginning. Let's start with the news itself. What exactly is Margaret Hunter being sentenced for?
1: She pleaded guilty to one of 60 counts in the indictment. The count was conspiracy to illegally convert campaign finance money to personal use. Um, And it carried a sentence of five years a maximum exposure is what they call it, the maximum sentence of five years. Um, But she cooperated and uh, prosecutors said her her help was really, really important. And so they sought this, you know, much lighter sentence for her.
0: Mm -hmm. And why don't you recap how we got here? How did this conspiracy come to light?
1: Um, Well, the Federal Election Commission, which oversees federal elections, um, it's... Questioned Duncan Hunter's campaign in April of 2016 uh, in a public letter, asking about, "Hey, what's up with your campaign spending money on these video game charges? Because personal use of campaign finance, campaign money is uh, is not allowed. It is against the law. And um, so, you know, we somebody told us about this, or told my editor." about it. Um, And he said, hey, we hear there's this letter. And so I just went and found it on the website. And, you know, I started asking questions. And then I went back in older campaign finance reports to make sure I I wasn't missing anything. Um, And I saw more weirdness there. And then it's just one thing kind of led to another for four years. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I remember reading those stories. It really did feel like you were pulling on a loose thread because it started with these strange video game charges, and then we had the surgery, garage door, uh, that one twenty-six shots of tequila, and that one steak.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, um, pulling on that thread got the attention of uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office and and Assistant U.S. Attorney oh. Phil Halpern, who said after Duncan Hunter was, uh, you know, pleaded guilty that. Um, He had seen my first article in the San Diego Union Tribune, and that sort of, you know, made him think, is this something we need to to get into? You know, Um, but there were other balls rolling too. this group uh, called Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, known as CRU. uh, They filed a complaint with the um, Office of Congressional Elections and the FEC office of congressional ethics, sorry, and the FEC. Um, And so, you know, there were those investigations going to, and then uh, the office of congressional ethics recommended that the big ethics committee, you know, the house committee on ethics, uh, do an investigation formally and thoroughly. And they were going to do that until the Department of Justice asked them to step aside for, Mm -hmm. you know, while they did their investigation.
0: And since this has been in the courts, it seems that Margaret Hunter's strategy has been very different from uh, Congressman, former Congressman Duggan Hunter's. Can you explain kind of both of their strategies and where it kind of took them? Because they are quite different.
1: Yes. Um, so Margaret Hunter has been pretty much silent. She has not spoken in public outside of Court and court records. Um, And this is, she's been like that the whole time. And, you know, from the very beginning, and even later, uh, when her husband sort of started suggesting in public uh, that he had not made any of these questionable charges, he had not been swiping the card, he was not involved in any criminal activity. uh, But he, you know, he figured that the investigators would be looking into his wife and former campaign manager, who was, you know, the other cardholder to see about her spending. So he kind of, um, he was sort of blaming her, seeming to blame her. Um, and she didn't say anything. She was very quiet until she changed her plea to guilty and dropped this document, uh, this court record in which she pleaded guilty. And it was just, tons of details about you know the spending that they did the crimes that they you know committed conspiracy with each other and um basically said yeah i committed this crime and my co-conspirator was my husband and so you know prosecutors said that that made it a lot harder for him uh to continue to fight the charges Mm. and continue this sort of campaign of saying you know this is politically motivated prosecution. It's, you know, it's fake news. It's, It was my wife's charging of things, you know, it just made it harder for him to not take responsibility as well.
0: Yeah, I remember looking through that indictment, which is a rather long document. And it's not super surprising that one of the parties would be like, yeah, there's no way I get out of this. I might as well just cooperate.
1: Yeah, and you know, prosecutor said that she was she was really just trying to, to take responsibility and end it as quickly as possible for their children because you know they had three children who at the time I think were all you know and still living at home, and um, and I think you know prosecutor said that she really just wanted to take responsibility, you know, pay her debt to society and try to keep. Her children, as protected as possible from continued, you know, from a what would be a difficult court case, you know, for them to live through and more media coverage and everything. And I think she just didn't want that for them. And so, you know, her solution was to not fight it, but step in and really lean into you know, taking responsibility. This, according to the prosecutors. Mm-hmm.
0: And now, looking back at the scheme itself and how it's gone through the courts. What is the clearest motivation behind all of these crimes?
1: You know, I think that things things start small. You know, they they were having uh, financial difficulty. They, they were having trouble managing their finances and expenses were sort of, you know, piling up on them and they were getting into more financial difficulty. And so, you know, they they were looking at first, it's like, well, there is a lot of leeway if you're, you know, running for for federal office, you can spend money in many, many different ways. You can spend your campaign money in many, many different ways, and justify them. You know, so it can get kind of a gray area. And I think, you know, it seems that they sort of ventured into that gray area, and then it just sort of, they just went a little farther and a little farther, and you know, over seven years or, or how I think it's like seven years, um, you know, it got, it got to garage doors and oral surgery essentially.
0: So, yeah, going through all those documents and the stories that you've written, it, it it seemed like, uh, you know, keeping up appearances in a way of, they didn't have a lot of money and they were in debt, but there was the, the pressure of being a congressman to appear that you have wealth. So I imagine I'm just speculating here, but I imagine that was kind of a psychological driver as well.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, after four years, I still can say, I have no idea what either of them were thinking at the time, but, um, but it certainly based on the court records and everything that has come out, you know, it looked like they wanted to live a lifestyle that they couldn't afford. And, um, and this made it possible. And I don't know if it was, you know, the pressure of being a congressman, or if it was just trying to, you know, have their children go to the school that they most wanted them to go to, or I don't really know what was motivating them, but it did seem to start small and just kind of escalate over the years.
0: Mm-hmm. And after all of this, uh, what's the situation with the Hunter family now?
1: So to the best of my knowledge, um, they are, Duncan and Margaret Hunter are married, but they are living apart. Um, and the, their two youngest children are, are living with, with Margaret Hunter. And I think the oldest has gone off to college. Um, so, you know, they're not divorced. I haven't found any divorce filings. But they're they are separated, um, and I think that's sort of the state of things. At the moment. Mm.
0: So, at this point, is this the end of the legal saga? Is there anything else that could happen that you know of? Uh,
1: I do not. I do not know of anything else that could happen. But in these past years, I have been surprised often. So I would never rule that out, Um, but you know, she, uh, Margaret Hunter was supposed to start her probation and house arrest yesterday and Duncan Hunter uh, should be, he's scheduled to report to, you know, to surrender, to start his 11 month prison sentence um, in January. So, you know, of course the ongoing pandemic, you know, makes things a little difficult when it comes to, you know, when he should go to prison, things like that. So I guess that's all very much subject to change. Mm-hmm. But for right now, it's looking very close to the end of the story. Mm-hmm.
0: And at this point, uh, there aren't any more loose ends that we expect to get any more information on. Uh, I remember in the indictment, there was mentions of other Congress people, of individuals that are named with, you know, just little one A or one B or whatever. Will we ever learn any of that stuff?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I don't have any expectation that we would. The, the you know the Department of Justice tries to protect the people who you know they try to protect witnesses and everything. And you know, a lot of what was said was in grand jury proceedings, which are secret. So I don't I don't really see um, you know them voluntarily releasing. Yeah, volunteering any information like that. And I I don't really see it coming out. It could. I've been surprised. Mm
0: -hmm. And we have a question from uh, someone watching. uh, Michael Conroy asks if Duncan Hunter Jr. is seeking a pardon. Because we did see a little bit of um, Trump-like language from Duncan Hunter during the time. It seemed like he was using those rhetorical strategies to kind of gather attention toward his case. He never got a pardon. Do you expect he'll try something in the next coming months?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I have no idea. Um, I could see how that would, you know, be an option that he might want to explore um, and see what's possible there. But, you know, it it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, there's been plenty of time since the indictment and and his, you know, his guilty plea. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, I mean... I don't know, but uh, I I feel like if it hasn't happened, I don't really see it happening.
0: Yeah, I kind of imagine Trump being. I don't even know who you are.
1: <laughs> well, Duncan Hunter was um, a very early supporter. He was the first or second member of Congress to, um, you know, to endorse President Trump's candidacy at the time. So, you know, but he's also you know, he's pleaded guilty to, to a crime. So we'll Mm. just have to see.
0: Yeah. And, uh, finally, uh, looking back at your reporting over the past several years, what key takeaways have you learned about crimes like these, these white collar crimes that kind of snowball? Like, is there anything that really surprised you? Like the moment that it appeared that both of them realized the jig was up?
1: Well, I think that, I mean, no, I don't know. Because I'm not sure at what point they decided that it was time to, you know, to come, well, Margaret Hunter to come clean. Um, mm-hmm. But I do know that, you know, they they definitely said some misleading, or well, not they, I'm sorry, uh, former Congressman Hunter said some really misleading things, I think, to try to cover it up. You know, prosecutors have said he was basically lying to the public to try to cover things up. And, you know, you don't expect, um, you, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm not sure when they when they decided that. Hmm. I
0: don't know. Yeah, and that kind of matches with some of the language that we heard when, um, you know, Duncan was sentenced and when we learned about, you know, the exact charges is that the kind of the reason why the justice system went after him this way is because as a member of Congress, you're held to a higher ethical standard and those dollars are taxpayer dollars. So that's why the hammer came down much harder on him than it did on Margaret.
1: Oh, certainly. It definitely undermines trust in government, right? I mean, the, the reason that personal spending of campaign finance money is if campaign money is illegal is because you don't even want the appearance that you Are beholden to your campaign donors. You don't want even the appearance of undue influence, much less actual undue influence. Um, And so, you know, just even the appearance, but then the actual, you know, um, crime involved was just a total betrayal of the public trust. When you're a congressman, you are entrusted to try to serve everyone equally, to try to serve your district. The best you can, in their interests, not yours, and not in the interests of your campaign donors. And if you don't do that, as Duncan Hunter did not do that, then you have betrayed the public trust, and that's a you know that's a very bad thing. It's a very bad thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, actually, finally, this time. Um, You remember the Watchdog team, and your team is exceptionally skilled at digging up records and kind of digging deep on these stories, especially ones that are tied to the public trust. So if I have something that I want to share with the press, uh, what's the best way of getting that to the Watchdog team?
1: Well, you could email me at morgan.cook at sduniontribune.com, or if you go to the website on the Watchdog page, there's a button you can click to to send us a tip.
0: All right, looking forward to those tips in that secure Dropbox. Warden Cook, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: The fourth annual San Diego Festival of Books, the county's largest celebration of the written word, is going virtual. Like past festivals, you can expect Q&As and panels with award-winning authors from across the country New for this year, count on poetry readings, a cooking demo, art and writing workshops, and an entertainment hour with local musicians. Visit SDFestivalOfBooks.com. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you want to include the San Diego Union Tribune in your morning routine, check out our daily flash briefing. Every weekday morning, hear a quick summary of the day's top stories. Just search San Diego Union Tribune wherever you get your podcasts,
1: including smart speakers. Until next time.